Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Internationals, Premier League, the return of the Champions League, and the news that has rocked England this week. Project Big Picture. There's so much to get stuck into in this week's Gegenpod, so let's get right into it. Yes, hi everyone. Another episode of the Gegenpod to get stuck into. We haven't had the Premier League on in the last weekend, but there's been no shortage of football to talk about and we have... One hell of a fixture amongst some amazing fixtures to talk about coming up this weekend on Off The Sport. David Wiener with you once again for another episode, joined by John Aloisi and Thomas Sorensen this week. Bridgie's got his feet up in the rotation system, so hope he's having a nice rest. Guys, great to see you. John, welcome back. How are you going? How have you enjoyed the, uh, the international football feast? I feel like Harry Kane. I've been rotated in this week. And um, I'm a bit fatigued because all the games that have been going on. Where, where do you turn, Dave? It's just been games galore. Um, Optus, uh, the amount of football that you can watch is just incredible. And uh, it's been brilliant for me. International week, even though the, the teams had to play three games, I've enjoyed every minute and some interesting results. Our, uh, our offering, as great as it is, I think it is a physical impossibility. I think we worked out it was 81 games in seven days. So uh, take your pick, but don't, don't try. Watch all of them, please, for your, <laughs> for your own sake. How are you, Thomas? Yeah, I'm good. I was just about to say, you know, I haven't watched the 81 games. Uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, professional yeah. podcast. <laughs> uh, no, yeah, it's been great. You know, wherever you look, uh, there's interesting games and, uh, you know, following... You know, obviously Germany for 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 a change, getting a win in the uh, uh, Euro, uh, Nations League has been fantastic. Uh, exciting games, plenty of goals, and uh, you know I've been following Denmark uh, a bit close, and uh, they're they're hanging in there. And an exciting game against England uh, tomorrow. We'll kick. We'll talk about England in a second. What we'll kick off today with guys is um, a bit of news out of the Nations League, where Cristiano Ronaldo has tested positive to COVID-19. Um, he's not, certainly not the first footballer to do so. I mean, Neymar, Ibrahimovic, Mane, Thiago Alcantara, even Mbappe, almost at the start of it. But um, certainly the biggest name and certainly does have ripple effects through not only the Nations League, through the Serie A, through the Champions League. And judging by some of his photos, Johnny, on social media, a fair few of the Portuguese team who have all tested negative with him today, but they were out for dinner in very close proximity to each other the other night. Um, your reaction to this, it's, it is a concern because it's going, it, it's going to catch up with football if it keeps going like this. Yeah, it's a concern. Uh, I saw the photos at dinner. Ronaldo was in the middle of everything. So he was uh, the head of the table, as you expect, and uh, he was taking a selfie. Um, it's not only Serie A and Champions League. It's, uh, you know, the, the majority of the Portuguese players play in the Premier League and all over Europe. So it is a worry. Um, and it does seem like it's catching up. The second wave is hitting Europe big time. Um, what's going to happen to the leagues, we don't know. At the moment, I like that they keep, like, majority of the leagues are, uh, are playing on still. Um, I know in Serie A, they didn't play uh, between Napoli and Juventus, but that was only because Napoli didn't turn up. They still were supposed to play that game. Um, so it, it's, what's this space? Because it, it, if it keeps on going like this, are we going to suspend the leagues again? And uh, that's going to hurt everyone, I think. I think complacency, Thomas, is the really big one here because Juve had had um, positive tests throughout their coaching staff and Ronaldo um, did leave what was, I don't know what the term is in Italy, but their bubble, for want of a better term, to go link up with the Portuguese national team. Um, It's almost like after all these months of discipline, if football wants to continue to almost live in another realm to everything that's going on, the players need to just hang on that little bit longer because, uh, as you can see now, you know, we're almost just waiting for dominoes to fall. 
Yeah, you know, there'll be tiredness. You know, we, we feel it here in Australia as well, and we, we're not at that level and not in a bubble, but everyone is, you know, it just seems, you know, impossible to contain this, even though you, you, you have the best measures, there's going to be tiredness, there's going to be leaks, there's going to be things that's going to, it's going to creep in everywhere. And, you know, it, it's going to be, a, you know, a time now where, where we have to make a decision. Do we, do we live with it? Uh, do we close down again? And as Johnny said, you know, it's going to be the questions that will arise now, in, especially in Europe, that, uh, you know, where do we go from here? Um, you know, it's not like the players are in, you know, at a health risk, in, in my view. Uh, you know, they're, they're good, healthy, obviously, uh, human beings. So, that, so they, they shouldn't, you know, <laughs> die from it. Or, but the problem is it can spread to, to other, other things and, and you have to sort of calculate that risk. So there, there's a lot of decisions that will be, have to be made uh, also financially going forward. Were you surprised, John, that, they, that they've gone so all in on the international window? I mean, we're loving it. It's great. It's great entertainment. But is it, I know they've got to fit up filling these games, but these aren't World Cup qualifiers. They are Nations League games. Um, were you surprised they went ahead with it at this rate of knots, including a full set of friendly fixtures as well? I'm surprised that the yeah the friendly features uh, took place. Uh, you know, three games in a space of uh, a little over a week for the national teams. I think it's too much anyway. And then with what's going on with the coronavirus, I think it was unnecessary. Um, and then this morning, uh, we'll talk a little bit later about it. But I'm watching Spain uh, travel to the Ukraine, and uh, is a full house. And you know, we're going. Where does it? Uh, where does it stop? Where does it begin? Players are still, you know, living their no- lives normally. When it first started, they weren't able to hug each other when they celebrated a goal. They had to keep their distance. That's all gone. You know, everyone's hugging each other again. Everyone's shaking hands. Um, occasionally, you'll see a fist pump here and there. Occasionally, you'll see, you know, the people on the bench with face masks. But it's, it's actually, they've, uh, it's been very laxed of late. And the second wave is coming. It is there already. They have to start to be a little bit stricter, I think. Mm, well, well, we, we watch this space because there's also the, there's that element that we've just spoken about, which is a precautionary element. There's also the actual physical toll element. Now, uh, I'll bring in uh, Jose Mourinho against Gary Southgate here because uh, as we talk about England now, and England go on and play Denmark uh, Thursday morning, our time, um, if you're listening to this before the game is played, they've already played Wales, they've already played Belgium in this space of time. And Harry Kane came into the squad with a, with a hamstring niggle. He has actually been managed by Southgate in the sense that he, he hasn't played uh, the opening games from the start. Dominic Calvert-Lewin has, has had, a, had a chance there as well. But he will probably play in the big one against Denmark on, on Thursday and then head into a really busy schedule with his club side. Where do you sit on that uh, Gary versus Jose um, discussion, Thomas? You know, you, you, can, uh, you, can, you can see from both point of view, he's an important player for, for both teams. Uh, and, and this is where, you know, what Johnny touched on, you know, three games. Uh, I think Southgate has done brilliant with, with Kane uh, managing, you know, managing, you know, Kane and his injuries and, and, and the tough schedule that uh, the incredibly tough, tough schedule that Tottenham has had. And, and this is a big game for them. Uh, obviously, uh, they can cement the, you know, the, the, the top spot. So, you know, he has to play. He's the captain. He's the, you know, the, the talisman there. And um, so, you know, again, uh, Mourinho has to accept, accept that that's, that's how it is. And, and, and uh, Southgate can really do what he, what he wants because I think he showed plenty of, res- of res- respect in that regard. Yeah, I agree, Thomas. I, I think that uh, I see Gareth Southgate's side, you know, he's under pressure as well. He needs to win football games. He needs to make sure with the squad he's got, and he has rotated it a lot. He's given the, a lot of younger players their opportunity. A lot of players that have started the season well, their opportunity. You know, we talk about Jack Grealish, uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, Danny Ings, uh, Mason Mount. You know, I think that he's done a good job. But this is an important game. You want your leader there. You want your captain uh, playing. And, um, and, you know, Jose Mourinho, it's unfortunate that he's had a tough schedule. So it, that's got nothing to do with the managers, I don't think. I think that's got more to do with the whole of football at the moment in, in Europe and playing too many games. Mm. Well, let's talk about, look, we've got these games, so we're going to talk about them. <laughs> we'll sit back and enjoy it for as much as we can. And it's a big game for your country, Thomas, when they do 
uh, take on England uh, Thursday, 5.45 a.m. Australian Eastern Daylight Time with the chance in Group A2 to join England at the top of the table. And they're on four points. England are on seven. Belgium, six. Um, what have you made of, uh, of England so far? What do you think your, your country is coming up against in this uh, new look sort of 3-4-3 three, three formation that uh, Gary Southgate is trying? Yeah, he played with a three uh, against Belgium. Um, yeah, there's been a lot of, uh, you know, Johnny touched on it, there's a lot of chopping and changing and, uh, you know, uh, you know what, what are the best, uh, you know, where is Kane's position? Is he a, is he a 10? Uh, has he, you know, has he, has he got the pace to play up front? I don't think so. So, you know, Calvert-Lewin scored against Belgium. So, so that, that's a, a, a positive. Um, or did he? Uh, no, no he that was the, the game before. Game. Yeah, yeah, that was the first wild. game. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, there's, there's options there. And, and I think he's probably better uh, suited uh, as a 10 as he has been in, uh, at Tottenham and uh, you know he's been brilliant like a Rooney Rooney moved from, from that number 9 to, to a number 10 uh, when he sort of lost a bit of pace so I think it's a great position for him and and uh, you know it just gives another attacking player an option um, but but they're still searching I, I, they, they were they were decent against Belgium I thought uh, you know defensively they, they were sound uh, didn't give too much away but on the other hand, they weren't sort of, it wasn't a great performance uh, going forward. A uh, bit of luck with Mason Mount obviously gets a deflection uh, for, for the goal and, a, and the penalty. Uh, you know, so again, I still have room for improvement. And I agree with Johnny that, uh, you know, that uh, Southgate is, is under pressure. They have to, you know, with this amount of talent, he has to find the best 11, stick to it, uh, get some continuity and, uh, you know, you know, they need to win really against Denmark uh, uh, for sure. And, and, and the game in Copenhagen was an absolute dire. So um, they need to perform better this time around. It was made for Eric. <laughs> yeah. what, have you, what, have, what are your thoughts on England, John? Is it a case of for Southgate, his whole thing has to revolve around those, that front three, which is, you know, the envy of, of, of many. And then you build it back from there. Or would, would you be structuring that team a, a little bit differently to the way he's going? Uh, no, I don't know about structuring it differently. I think that he has to make sure that his team's solid, that he can't uh, concede too many goals. And with the, the players they have got going forward, they will always create chances, even when they are not dominating. Because against Belgium, Belgium were the better team. Belgium dominated them. Um, but they were still able to score a couple of goals. So, um, look, I find it really interesting because with the, the, the players they've got all over the pitch, they've got two or three players for every position. I think what Gareth Southgate is looking to do, the Nations Cup, yes, if you come top, it would be great and, you know, whatever else. He's looking for a side and he's creating this competition in this squad for the Euro. Mm. And if he can get that right and get uh, enough uh, games in the younger players, um, like your Mason Mounts, then they'll go into the Euro feeling confident because he's going to be judged on that. That, that. That's what it's all about. So... Um, whether, you know, Harry Kane starts up top and they play, you know, with two up top or they start uh, with the three that they've got at the moment, it all depends on what Gareth thinks is best suited for Harry Kane because he's going to start. Well, on that, I thought Thomas's point was really interesting that he brought up earlier. And, and it's, it's, uh, it flows off a little bit off the six assists he's got in the Premier League this year under Jose Mourinho, where he's been the one supplying Son, almost bombing on beyond him. Uh, Johnny, is it, as a, looking at him from a striker to striker, um, has there been an evolution in Kane this season? And has it been, do you think, deliberate or just sort of organic, given the injuries he's had? I think a little bit of both. I think they're also organic because of uh, the experience that Harry Kane's got now. I think that he's more of a, a penalty box player. He, he can link up really well. He can start up top and sort of be like the uh, Roberto Firmino sort of uh, way of playing, dropping just beyond, um, you know, in between the lines to pick up the ball and then start to combine. Because with Tottenham, when you've got Son and players like that running in behind you, they will stretch the opposition. Mm. So Kane can actually link up and, and, and hold up the ball really well. So he's a good outlet for him. He will still get into the box. He will still make his forward runs. He will still uh, get into positions to score goals. And I still think he hasn't hit uh, his straps yet this season because of the amount of games they've played. But um, I think that he's, he's actually becoming uh, a more all-round player. Uh, 
especially as a striker, because if you can do both, how hard is it to mark? Because you, you can't allow him to get the ball to feet. He's still, he's not lightning quick, Thomas, but he's still got enough to get in behind with his movement and still create chances that way. So a difficult player for defenders to play against. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see his evolution there, both with Tottenham and with England, where England have a really terrific set of attacking players. I mean, within that, beyond him, you've got Calvert-Lewin, you've got Ings, you've got Greenwood, you've got Rashford, um, you've got Grealish, uh, you've got Mason Mount. Uh, so there's a fair bit of talent there in the wings with Jaden Sancho and Sterling, uh, the obvious selections on the flanks there. So what can we expect from Denmark, uh, Tottenham? Your, uh, Tottenham? Thomas, <laughs> your, your country. Um, how are they travelling? <laughs> No, I think they, they, you know, they're playing under a, a new manager, Casper <coughs> Yulman, who's who's taken over from uh, Johansson. So, uh, you know, again, new new tactics. It's taken him a, a little bit to to get used to it. Uh, but again, totally different from from England. They, they've got a settled side. Obviously, Eriksson uh, being the main man, Casper Schmeichel, uh, Kier. You know, they got a, a good midfield with Hoybier from Tottenham and and uh, Delaney from Dortmund. Uh, their potential weaknesses up front. I think Dolberg, has, uh, who moved from Ajax to, to Nice, has, has, has done okay, but they're, they're lacking a, you know, a hurricane. They're lacking a top, top striker, I think, to, to be a, a really, really good team. But they're, they're not to be underestimated. I think they're, they're very disciplined and, and, and has some creativity that, that they can hurt you. And impressive 3 near win in Iceland because that's a tough place to go. So, so they'll cause England some problems, but... Again, it'll be a it'll be tough for Denmark to 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 get away with a win. Well, if you set your alarm on Thursday morning, if you listen to us on Wednesday for your commute in the afternoon, uh, there's a fair bit of great football, and actually, with Croatia playing against France, Iceland against Belgium, England, Denmark, as we mentioned, Italy, Netherlands, and a fair few of those games are top of the table clashes. Italy and Netherlands are top of Group A one, where they share a group with Poland and Bosnia Herzegovina, um, Portugal, France, Croatia, and Sweden up. Uh, in Group A3, where Portugal and France unsurprisingly lead the way, but Croatia will be looking to make some inroads there. Um, then we've got Group A4, John, which has Spain, Germany, Ukraine, and Switzerland, which we saw in action this morning. Two very different games. You've got the Kamikaze Germany side. Who would have ever thought you'd say that about a German side? But that was three all against Switzerland. Um, and that just seems to be the way of Jogulo's side in the Nations League uh, over the last two years. Um, and Spain had about 455,000 shots in Ukraine and lost 1-0. Um, so your takeaways from uh, those two high-profile nations? Yeah, I, I watched a bit of Spain, um, especially against Portugal uh, in the friendly game last week, which they played really well. Traore made a great impact coming in off the bench, his first appearance for Spain. Um, interesting, Kepa played in that game. Uh, so... Uh, Luis Enrique still uh, got confidence in Kepa. And then they played against Switzerland and, and another good result, 1-0, but were, were dominant. And so you expect them to go to the Ukraine and win that game, especially after they beat them 4-0 a month ago. Um, but the Ukraine, having one shot on target, ended up winning that game 1-0. And they just held on for the rest of the game. But there was a full house there, Dave. And it just pushed them over the line. The atmosphere was electric. Um, it goes to show what we have been missing mm. with football and also what the players have been missing because that does help you. It gives you a lift. And uh, Spain weren't good enough to break them down and score their goal. So it's opened the group right up because it's given Germany and Switzerland an opportunity to actually finish top of that group. Kay Havertz and uh, Timo Werner, they, they were getting amongst it uh, in that game this morning, unsurprisingly. Serge Gnabry as well. Um, but how long, Thomas? Seriously. Like, we, we jo- I remember doing the Nations League uh, with you guys probably uh, a year and a half ago um, on Optus Sport. Where we did, we did a, a post-game show around it. And almost every show there was talking about the future of Yogi Lowe and Woody, how long would they put up with him? How long can he get away with these defensive disaster classes? And he's still there. And uh, how much longer can he, uh, can he continue to, to have results like this with the, the big Euros now, you know, less than a year away? Yeah, it's strange because I, I, I remember going even further back. I was doing my preparation for the 2018 World Cup and he was under heavy pressure there. <laughs> so, and they didn't perform too well at the World Cup as well. So I, I, I don't know what their thinking is. You, you must have some 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 great friends higher up in, in the German uh, <laughs> FA. Well uh, <clears throat> yeah, <laughs> no. you know, they might take some percentage of his wages. Or I don't know. 
But, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a strange situation. You know, they, they've got, you know, it's like England. They, they've got an abundance of talent, uh, exciting young players. Uh, but for some reason, uh, especially of late, like Johnny said, they, they're conceding too many goals. They're exciting going forward. It's always great games to watch. But at the end of the day, they should be, uh, you know, top uh, in Europe, uh, like like Bayern is uh, at, at, a, at a group, uh, sorry, at a, a club level. Same with the national team, but for some reason it hasn't worked. Uh, too many ins and outs, you know. That there's also things that's come out of the camp. Uh, you know, there's been a little bit of, of stirring there. Players not being happy, and and uh, so uh, you know, uh, it, it'll be tough to see it. Uh, you know, going for much longer, but. He seems to have some some friends higher up that that keeps him there. Look, he's um, he's worked it well because after the the 2018 World Cup, when they didn't perform at their best, uh, he decided to leave out a lot of the experienced players and make it into a transitional period, bringing through the youngsters, which they've got top young players coming through. They will give him time until the Euro. Uh, if they don't perform in the Euro, and what I mean, don't perform, they need to make at least semi-finals, finals, mm. and play at their best. Um, or else I think that will be his last major tournament because with these players, like Thomas says, they should be the best team in Europe because they've got some talent coming through. And you just see, you know, just Werner, Havertz, um, Gnabry scoring this morning. I don't think he's got the system right yet in terms of their defensive frailties. I think that uh, them playing three at the back um, you know, it's different. They're not playing a five at the back. That they, They're closing the space. They're playing a three and they're, they're leaving a lot of space for the opposition to counter them. Um, so it, it's going to be interesting to see how they go until the Euro. But the Euro will be his major test. If he doesn't perform, I think that'll be it for him. Some run anyway. Uh, he's had plenty of chances to do that. So interesting. Look, you know you're going to get entertainment with them at the moment. So um, that is makes them well worth the watch. Uh, other results... Of note, I guess Italy drew nilo with Poland, uh, Portugal drew nilo with France. In games where on paper there were there was riches everywhere on that. So it's been an interesting couple of days in that window. Probably the most interesting takeout, Johnny, for Australians is seeing Landon Dykes, uh, you know, who chose Scotland over the Socceroos, score the winner for them against Slovakia. It looks like he's entrenched uh, his spot up top there. That would have been nice competition for places for your Taggarts and McLarens of the world, wouldn't it? Yeah, I know. You like to think that um, he would have uh, picked Australia, but I also understand where he's coming from because he got his opportunity in Scotland. Uh, Scotland have actually taken him in, um, you know, even though he grew up on the Gold Coast and uh, he's born and bred here. But, uh, you know, good on him. He's he's done really well so far. He's uh, scoring goals now for Scotland and uh, they could still make the Euro. So... Mm. It will be great to see an Aussie playing in the Euro, even though it's not for Australia. But, um, yeah, interesting times uh, with that one. It's one that's gone through the crack, and, uh, and I'm sure that there, there are others that have fallen through as well. Yeah, yeah, hopefully that is one of the last we've done. So they, they play Serbia, the, the last eight to get into the Euros, and that they'll play off in the next uh, window. Uh, Georgia and North Macedonia, Hungary and Iceland, Serbia and Scotland, and Northern Ireland and Slovakia for those final places there. Hey, before we just turn to the on-field action in the Premier League, obviously it's been a really big news week in England with Project um, um, the project, a big picture coming out of... Dave, uh, just before, sorry, just before we get on to the project, yes. just, uh, I've got the result in front of me. Ecuador beating Uruguay 3-0. Um, and this is for a World Cup qualifiers. And that, that's, uh, that's a big result. If so Uruguay say that again. Lose. Ecuador beating Uruguay 3-0. 3-0, yeah. yeah. And this morning, uh, Bolivia lost to Argentina in La Paz, which is one of the worst places to go into world football because the altitude. You can barely breathe, let alone run. So it's a massive result for Argentina to win over there. They will get their three points and they'll quickly get out of there. Yeah. Did, you, did you go as high as that when you were playing with the Socceroos? Uh, no, I think Colombia was the highest uh, in Bogota and that was uh, pretty hard. And, and, and I don't know if, Thomas, you've ever played in altitude. I also went to Mexico City, actually, and in... Uh, Mexico City wasn't as bad as Pachuca. We went there for pre-season friendly. But when you actually kick the ball, the ball just keeps travelling. So you see goalkeepers 
kicking at the length of the field. Even players are shooting from 40 metres because the way the ball travels, it just doesn't stop. And that's because of the, the altitude. So uh, not easy places to play their football, that's for sure. When you did that, did you take any of those, you know how you sometimes can take like those lo- the natural things that they take with the locals? Like when I, when I went to do the Inca Trail in Peru, what is it, cocoa leaves or cocoa drink or something like that and I remember one night I was lying there in bed and my heart was nearly coming out of my mouth I'd drunk so much of it (laughs) I can't can't remember taking anything anything that I remember anyway but uh, you know I I do remember feeling sick it it wasn't a great feeling Um, I don't think it's made for football but uh, they do say it helps you once you come out of the attitude training or or games that you, you come back to normal civilization and you feel a lot fitter i don't know how long that lasts for though funny stuff well, that's a huge result for argentina who um talk about underachieving like with germany how that side hasn't won silverware in recent years is beyond me so they've got a they've got a fair bit to uh, do there and without angel di maria too i believe who was left out uh because of a you know wanting to bring in younger players and he was pretty filthy about that um, when that squad was announced too um, so yeah, one to watch there. Hey, so project big picture. I don't want to talk too long about this because there's been a lot said about it, but it is worth noting for anyone that hasn't been across it. It was a plan devised by uh, the, the big, the heavies at Liverpool and Manchester United, um, to in theory provide support for the EFL clubs, 250 million pound upfront, plus then a share 25% of revenue going forward. Um, but with that comes the Premier League getting reduced in their proposal from 20 teams to 18, the EFL Cup of the Community Shield getting scrapped. Um, but the critical part of this um, is that the power and the vote would be really, um, really held by the clubs that have been in the Premier League for a long time. Arsenal, Chelsea, Everton, Liverpool, United, City, Southampton, Tottenham and West Ham. So you're looking at a real concentration of power, Thomas. Uh, in the elite. What was your reaction to this announcement that has been pretty widely condemned in the media by the Premier League itself, by the government in England, um, but with EFL clubs really split amongst themselves as to whether or not this is a good thing or a bad thing? You know, I think there's obviously uh, ongoing discussions about the financial future of of football uh, and, and they need to find a solution. Uh, I think the way this has come out, uh, you know, it doesn't it doesn't uh, put it in a great light. Uh, it, it, to me, it's a it's a total power grab, uh, exploiting, you know, a vulnerable situation for a lot of clubs, dangling a carrot. Uh, you know, f- you know, when you then start to read the the small blueprint, uh, it's all in favor of of uh, you know the big clubs, uh, especially going forward. Um, and, and, you know, yeah, the, the 250 million they get up front, you know, it's still only a, a sort of a, a advanced loan because that money will eventually be taken out of the 25%. So it's not an extra 250 million they'll get. It's actually 250 million up front, but that'll be taken out of the 25% they get later for, for a TV deal. And, and that TV deal will be diminished anyway because the clubs can now sell, I think it's eight games uh, to foreign. So that pool is already getting smaller. So I think in the long term, uh, you know, it, it makes it harder for the smaller clubs to to get promoted. They'll have, you know, you know, there, there'll be more games uh, in the Champions League, so more wealth for for the bigger clubs. Uh, so it's skewed way, way uh, wrong. Uh, and I, I think that's not the way football want to go. They need to find a solution that's good for everyone, uh, and uh, because it's. It's it's a game for the fans. It's a game for you know. It's a game for, for the people. So you know you can't have it uh, the way that they put it forward. I think it's just a bad look for for you know for for, for those clubs as well. Um, you know. So so yeah, criticism. I, I agree. Uh, but great that there's some thoughts and some some things. There's just other ways to go about it instead of sort of uh, do it uh, behind everyone's back and and then it leaks out. You know they they should do it uh, you know with everyone else up you know, and, and, and come to that solution. What about you, John? It's interesting. It, it won't happen. This, this actually uh, won't happen because the, the other Premier League clubs won't allow it to happen because at the moment they all have a vote. It's uh, one vote for each Premier League club. Um, so what they're trying to do is, is make sure the six, the big six, have the majority of the say and the majority of the votes. I can understand where they're coming from, though, because uh, the EFL... 
uh, and all the teams down there are, are going to struggle after the, the, the COVID situation. They already are. And it's going to get worse. And so this is a way to, like Thomas said, dangle the carrot, say, look, we can help you now with a, a £250,000 loan. Um, and eventually you're going to get the, some of the television money. So that side of it makes sense um, because they gonna, they're going to need help. Now, what's interesting is Rick Parry, the mm. EFL chairman, is the one that's pushing hard for it. And he was someone that was heavily involved in the Premier League, the breakaway all the way back in 92. And he seems to say that no one likes change, but change is going to happen eventually. Uh, it's just how it looks. And what I'm scared about, I'm not scared about the 18 um, team Premier League because I think that can work. You know, that that's worked in other competitions. It's not a, a big deal. Yes, there's less teams in the Premier League, so there's less games. But I think that's what the bigger clubs want. They want less games domestically, more games in Europe, Champions League, Europa League, uh, where there's more money for them. I'm scared of a breakaway league that go into a super league uh, in Europe. Mm. And that's going to kill off the local competitions. We don't want that to happen. Um, so there is some merit in what's happening. Um, it won't happen now, uh, but something eventually will happen where all parties come together and they say, yes, we need to make this work. Yeah, watch this space. The interesting part is as well as with a scale of, uh, you know, more television revenue to the clubs that finish high up the table, plus, you know, concentrating decision making with the elite, you can only see the, the, the clubs that have that vote or that dominance in the vote, um, really ensconcing their power and their place in the Premier League. And, and you want to see fresh, you know, fresh stories, fresh clubs, fresh you know, fresh opportunities for, for people coming through. Um, is this what happens when you have foreign ownership? That they don't really care that much about the, the, the Premier League itself? They, they, they're worried more about their own investment, yeah. their own club, uh, where the money is going to come into. Um, I know they, they, they're saying they're going to you know, trickle the money all the way down, even 5% to the grassroots, which I can't believe it's not in place anyway. Yeah. 5% of the, you know, the revenue. So it, it, I think this has got a lot to do with the foreign ownership, which obviously wasn't happening in the past. It's only of recent years. Yeah, well, it is a plan essentially derived in America uh, between the owners of Liverpool and Manchester United. So it's a little bit of be careful what you wish for in that sense. Uh, before we move on, one of their proposals, Thomas, was a turning the playoffs from um, just a promotion playoff, but involving now the team that finished, what is it, third last in the Premier yeah, League yeah. and having them involved in the playoff structure. Um, your thoughts on that? Uh, how, would that how would that change the dynamic? Do, taking a project big picture out of it anyway, um, what about that just as an idea? Uh, yeah, you know, I think, um, you know, it's exciting. Uh, it's been tried in Denmark. They had it for, for a fair few years where, you know, uh, I think it was the second place uh, in in the in the championship would then play uh, the the second last in, in the Super League, and uh, you know it's a little bit of extra excitement. But I think you know looking at it, uh, supporting uh, the the lower league teams, it's obviously on paper it'll make it a lot harder to get three teams promoted uh, because they they would struggle. Um, you know, a lot of the teams will, will struggle to beat uh, even a, a third-placed uh, team in, in the Premier League. And uh, I think that's where the question is. Is, is that the way you want to go? Uh, do, do you want to make it exciting in that way? You want to see the, the Minos try to beat the, the Premier League side? Or, or, or do you want to, you know, give that rotation, a, a, you know, keep that rotation that you have and, and give more clubs a chance to, to get into the big time? Uh, you know, that that's... Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. That's where, you know, it's a tough one. I'm, I, I would like to keep it as it, as it is. Um, if, if, the, if that, then move it to two. Uh, instead, scrap the playoffs, say that the top two teams in the Champions League, Championship 
gets promoted and and then uh, the, the bottom two teams. Okay. Well, watch this space. Watch this space, as I said. And as John hinted, uh, we haven't heard the last of this going forward. Short break. Promise. A quick shout-out to Optus Sports' other podcast, Two Sharp Reds. Former Aussie goalkeeper Mark Schwarzer is joined by Ollie Geel to have great banter about the Premier League, Champions League, Women's Super League. You know what? Anything football, really. You won't be disappointed. Two Sharp Reds, wherever you get your podcasts. Now, back to the Pod. Let's move to matters on the park because, as I mentioned a bit earlier, it is just a ridiculously big weekend uh, this weekend. The biggest Merseyside derby in years when Everton and Liverpool played this Saturday night at the very, very friendly time, sort of 10.30pm Australian Eastern Daylight Time at Mersey's, at um, Goodison Park in Merseyside. Uh, it'll be 10 years since Everton last beat Liverpool. 10 years on the day. Yeah, That's isn't that amazing? Isn't it? <laughs> isn't it amazing how the fixture gods throw this up? It's quite remarkable. <laughs> the, the fixture gods or the, that was planned? <laughs> or, 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 the, yeah, or the boffins behind the marketing department in the Premier League. Um, but John, how big is this game? Oh. How big is this game? It's huge. I'm just disappointed there's no crowd. That's, mm. that's the only thing that disappoints me. Other than that, and I don't want to be negative, be too negative, because other than that, it is the biggest game of the season so far because um, Everton, you know, we, we predicted that they were going to have a good season. Uh, did we predict that they'll be top of the table already? Um, probably not. I, I think that, uh, you know, they've... Um, that, that they've been playing well. They've got four wins out of four, the only team to do so, so far. I know Aston Villa's played a game less and they've won all three. But no one expected Liverpool to lose to Aston Villa 7-2. So, you know, we have to see how they rebound. I'm sure they'll rebound really well. And um, it's how people turn up after International Week. You know, the travel, uh, some South American players that have gone all the way to South America, the European players have played three games in just over a week. So uh, there's a lot on this game, but there's a lot riding on it because Everton haven't won in 10 years. And Timmy Cowell was uh, one of the players that scored in that game. Um, And I just can't wait. I've I've done a little bit of a piece on Ancelotti's Everton. It's only a couple of things that I've, uh, you know, he's done many good things with this side, but there's a few things that really stand out. And uh, there's a reason why they're playing so well. Oh, do tell. Um, and no, look, just the way that they've uh, been able to get Hummers on the ball facing forward. The, the, the rotation between, uh, you, you've got, uh, oh, I've gone blank now. The rotation between the three on the side, um, who's the midfielder now? Decore and Alan. Decore, yeah. Decore. So not Alan, Decore, <clears throat> Coleman and Hummers is has been impressive and just the way they've able to gel so quickly the has only arrived recently from Watford virtually a week before the start of the season and uh, and you've got uh, Hummers that only arrived uh, recently as well but the way Ancelotti's been able to actually get them to move that Hummers will always receive the ball facing forward in good areas because he knows that he's the one that can actually come inside on his left foot either start to thread balls through on his side or if the opposition really shift, switch it quickly out the other side to Ding and the left full back or even uh, Rich Olsen that's running in behind. So mm-hmm. that's been impressive. And also the defensive structure. You know, that Ancelotti's mainly been playing a 4-4-2 over the last few seasons at least. And um, he's gone with a 4-3-3. And they're, they're really like pressing high. And, uh, and when they do actually uh, win the ball in those areas, they're able to... Get, counter very quickly because of the players they've got in those positions going forward so interesting to see uh, what they do against Liverpool. So four games played Thomas, Liverpool have conceded 11 goals. Is that the biggest talking point question mark going into this derby? Can everything that John spoke about exploit that vulnerability that Aston Villa absolutely smashed out of the park the other week? Yeah I think so, you know uh, definitely uh, Van Dijk has sort of been you know, at least pulled down a few steps from from where he was. Uh, you know, the you know the season he had a couple of was it two years ago, and uh, they just look human now. And and Allison being out, uh, you know, that hasn't been impressive. Uh, Adrian in, in goal, and there's been talks. There was talks this week of them taking in Jack Butland from from Stoke City as well. So so there's pressure in that position. Uh, but again, I think uh, they're a wounded animal, and and they're they're most of the time that the you know, the, the most dangerous to play against and, and Klopp will have them 
fired up and and they're still the top team and and this is where i see the challenge for everton the history of the 10 years not winning you know haven't had a great season but they know they have to get past liverpool to really get recognized as as contenders uh, so this is a huge game you know I, i'm with with uh, johnny on this you know i can't wait for for this one because there's so many storylines you know calvin lewin you got him he's absolutely on fire you know, you know that they're going to create chances against Liverpool. Um, so I see it as a, as a high-scoring game. So, so for the viewers, uh, I think it'll be an absolute classic. Oh, it should be. Just, just the first one on the team sheet for Klopp, if he's fit, which I think he is, will be Henderson. In these games here, you need your leader out on the pitch. He didn't start the last game against Aston Villa. And, uh, and I know that, that Henderson will be the first one on the team sheet because they need that... Uh, player in there that uh, is really going to step up, especially in a in a local derby, uh, in the Merseyside derby. So it, that, that's an interesting one. And the other one is, will Gomez start next to Van Dijk? Because when Gomez has started, they've conceded goals. The only game they didn't concede was against Chelsea. And we all know that uh, Fabinho started at the back. So interesting to see what uh, Jurgen Klopp does with his back line, but also his midfield. Okay, so where's it won and lost, Thomas? First to you, then to John to conclude this. Where is this game won or lost? I think in midfield. Uh, you know, again, you know, you, you've got to assert yourself. And I think that's where, you know, Everton has, has really improved. Uh, you know, Decore, great, great signing there. Alan, you know, he hasn't played. He didn't play last week, I think. Uh, but, but, you know, I think that's where they lacked uh, last season. You know, just a bit of steel in there. And, and uh you know, just for them to, to be able to get the ball forward to uh, Hamas and, and the creativity there. Um, and then the crossing, uh, you know, I think they, they, can, they can catch Liverpool out. Um, you know, we saw it, uh, Villa did, did it brilliantly, uh, get the ball out wide in and, uh, you know, get the, get the Liverpool defenders facing their own goal and then they, they look vulnerable. Uh, and again, the keeper uh, as well, test him out. So... So I think midfield is, is going to be critical. And, and, and again, Henderson being back is Thiago. I, I presume he, he's out of uh, the COVID. Um, so so that will be a big one for Liverpool. So, so yeah, that's where we won and lost. Yeah, it's, um, I, I agree with Thomas because against Aston Villa, they lost the ball in dangerous areas in the midfield. And when they did lose that ball, they, they got caught out. And, uh, and that's where Villa actually counted them really well. We, we've been speaking about their line, that their, their high line hasn't been working so well from so far because the pressure on the ball hasn't been there and they've still, still been playing this line. Um, but I know Thomas is not going to like this, but I think the, the game's going to be won and lost between the two sticks. because, <laughs> <laughs> And they're, they're both not doing well. So. <laughs> Whoever, whoever, whoever uh, remembers the gloves will, will win the game. <laughs> yeah. Because we don't know what we're going to get from Pickford. We've got no idea. Adrian is always due a bit of a, a mistake. And, and what ends up happening with that is that, and Thomas will tell you, and, uh, and having coached when a goalkeeper is in form, the defenders are so confident, they actually play with a confidence. You know, they, they know that their keeper's there to back him up. So if they are playing a certain line, they know their keeper's there behind him in a good position that he can come and, and sweep. Or if they are playing out from the back, they're showing because they know the keeper can find them. When they're not confident in the goalkeeper, then they start to second-guess themselves. And that's what Liverpool have got at the moment. And I think it's going to be dangerous for them because if Alain, uh, Dacore... Uh, Gomez uh, on form in midfield, they will create chances and they will win the ball back in good areas. Well, uh, to conclude, is it, is it, I want a tip from you both in a second, but uh, first tip, Thomas, is it Olsen or Pickford in goal? Uh, I think he'll stick with, with Pickford. Um, uh, I, I think it'll be to, to make a change for, for this sort of game. Uh, I think it will be a, It'd be a very big surprise to, to me, uh, even though Pickford's, uh, you know, made a, a, a mistake against the Brighton in the, in the last game. You know, it's still, they've still won. Uh, and, and sometimes you then, you know, like Johnny would say, as a manager, you, you, you sort of let it go a bit. Uh, you know, you're hoping for a turnaround. And this is a great game, but if he can come out and, you know, he can remember the gloves and, and, and have put in a good performance, then, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, it's mainly forgotten. And I, I think he did, 
okay for, for England as well. So, uh, so he should bring a, a bit of confidence into the game. Excellent. Well, I'm actually catching up with a former Socceroos goalkeeper, Brad Jones, tonight. Um, he's played in the Merseyside derby and he's also come in as the second choice. And so he knows sort of the pressures that, that Adrian's under, that Jordan Pickford is under. So I'm looking forward to picking his brain in terms of what uh, the occasion of the Merseyside derby is like. And that will be on the spot out before the game during the week. Um, you guys escape without tipping. Who's winning, who's winning this game or are you sitting on the fence? Oh, I'm going to have to sit on the fence on this one um, because I just like the way that Everton are going about this season so far. And I'm, I'm sure they're still going to improve under Ancelotti. Um, and I expect Liverpool to rebound. They, they, you know, a wounded animal, like Thomas said, they've still got so many great players going forward. Yes, they, there are questions at the back, but um, who can write them off? Because you know, they're still the, the, the team to be, I think. So sit on the fence. I'm going to think it's going to be a high-scoring draw. Same as you. So we're looking for a three-all Saturday night. That wouldn't be bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell you what, that would kick off a massive weekend. 1 a.m. Chelsea plays Southampton. Uh, there's a huge array of fixtures this weekend. 6 a.m. Newcastle play Manchester United uh, as well. And in between that, Manchester City play Arsenal at 3.30 a.m. Australian Daily Time. Watch it on demand or the mini-match if you, if you need to as well. And this is all about Pep Guardiola against Mikel Arteta Thomas. What a moment for both managers. Guardiola to sort of make a statement against the young upstart and flip it, the young upstart, to show that his team, uh, nine points from 12 to start the season, are here to stay. Yeah, no, it's a big test for, for both of them. Um, you know, again, Arsenal, you know, they can firmly put their, their foot in the door and, and, uh, and, and really be counted among, you know, the, the, the really contenders for the Premier League if, if they can uh, get a win in this one. And, and the pressure is, is massively on, on Man City. You know, they're, they're up and downs. Uh, uh, you know, they, I know they have some injuries up front. Uh, and and who, who are they getting back? Will they have any of, of, of them back? Aguero? Or, um, you know, we won't know un- until the team sheet comes out. Um, so they got their issues. And then the question marks around, you know, the Guardiola way and, uh, and also the, you know, how, how, how much of an influence was Arteta on the Guardiola? And, uh, you know, so, so yeah, just the storylines there are, are really intriguing. And, uh, you know, again, like the, the Merseyside David, this, this is a must watch as well for, for, for all the right reasons. I think it's two exciting teams uh, going in the right direction. Uh, you know, with Man City obviously uh, struggling a little bit at the, at the moment. Isn't that incredible that, you know, people questioning Pep, and which I understand, you know, because that, that, that's going to happen in football when that happens when you're not getting results. But seriously, that, you know, <laughs> you're, yeah. you're going to question someone that's won everything in the game. I know that there are people talk about the Champions League and talk about that he only won it because of Lionel Messi and the side he had at Barcelona. But he did go to Bayern Munich, and I know that, uh, you know, Bayern Munich win it nearly every season there. But he did change football in Germany in that period. And, um, and then he went and uh, record points for Manchester City. He's still a top manager. He's still uh, one of the best managers in the world. And, and I think that this is a, an interesting game because I don't know the last time he's been in a position like this, you know, that, that, that they've started the season so bad. They have had their injuries, especially with Aguero and, uh, and Jesus up top, which they've missed desperately. I think with their new signing at the back in DS, uh, I think that will help them uh, shore up their central area with uh, uh, Laporte. But I actually don't think in the wide areas, Thomas, in the fullback positions, I think they've looked poor. I think Mendy's hasn't come back. Uh, no, no. He, He's been terrible. He, he was poor against... Uh, he, was, he was very poor against Leeds. Um, and I also think, you know, they're, they're struggling... Uh, with their holding midfielder, I think Fernandinho yeah. has been been really, really good for for a long time. Uh, and when he actually came on against Leeds, I, I think he shored them up a little bit. But uh, I, I'm not sure that they're strong enough in there uh, that that they have that enforcer that that can, you know, can break up the play, uh, you know, to avoid those counter attacks because that's where they've been hurt. You saw it against Leicester; they got absolutely, mm. you know, demolished uh, on the counter. So. 
So I think they've got an issue there um, in, in central midfield. I don't, I don't necessarily think, I think Diaz is a good player. And I, don't, would, I wouldn't put it all on the back line. I wouldn't say that that's their fault. I think actually in midfield, they, they can do better. On the flip side, I know you're a massive fan of Thomas Party, uh, John. And this, I don't know whether he'll throw in the deep end uh, in this game, but either way, his addition to um, Arsenal, it, it was the final piece of Arteta's puzzle, wasn't it? Can they go, tell us about Party, and then also whether you think they will knock uh, City off this weekend. He's an all-round midfielder. He, he wins so many balls because of his physical strength. Um, but he's actually really good on the ball. He can pick a final pass. He plays the ball forward really well. He can actually beat a player in midfield, uh, you know, when he's up a little bit higher. Um, I think that uh, it gives Arteta um, space to actually change his formation at times because at the moment they're still playing with that uh, three at the back. It ends up turning into a four when they've got the ball and they build up with the two sixes. Um, I think that they can actually play with one six and two eights, you know, with the two attacking midfielders. Danny Ceballos in the midfield is is coming uh, of age this season so far. I think he's been really good. But Thomas Party, I think, just adds so much to them. I, I actually think that this is the signing, one of the signings, definitely of the season, um, but the signing for Arsenal because he could have gone to a Champions League club easily. I know Chelsea were after him. I know Juventus were after him. Um, but he decided to go to Arsenal. That, that's a big thing for Arsenal because they're not playing Champions League football. So he wants to go there and build something with Arteta. Um, is it going to be enough for this season for them to challenge for the title? I'm not sure whether they're quite ready for that. But I'm telling you now that uh, if, if it's not this season, it'll be season coming because he's, he's a top, top signing. Yeah, Arsene Wenger's given, he's doing the rounds for his upcoming book and he's given Mikel Arteta a glowing endorsement saying that uh, if they can't win it, essentially if they can't win it this year, they will contend very, very soon with the trajectory that he has the club on. Although he did defend Mesut Ozil and uh, he did lament that he, he is wasting years of his career here and that uh, in the current way football is being played, a player like him is, is being wasted. But um, he certainly did give him a ringing endorsement there. All right, so tip, um, is, is it Pep's day or is it Mikel Arteta's day? Oh, Thomas, I'll let you go on that one. <laughs> uh, no, I, I think it would be Pep's day. Um, I still, um, you know, I still believe in, in, in him as a manager and, and, and them as a team. I think they got, you know, a lot of, of players. The, the question mark I'll have uh, is that, uh, you know, De Bruyne is, is out with a potential injury. Mm. Um, is he going to be fit? I think he's obviously huge for them. If he's not playing... Then uh, I, I, you know, I, I'll have to give it to Arsenal. But if, if the Bruyne is playing, I, I think it's City. So, so for me, it, it all hinges on that. That's a great way to get away without tipping. Yeah. Yes. But it makes sense because look, we we have to tip because it's part of our job in terms of being in the media to get everyone talking and to get everyone like actually getting angry at us on social media. That Dave, you keep on reminding me because I'm not on social media. But look, with with um, with this game, it does depend on who starts and, and who's on, the, on the, the team sheet for, for both teams because, you know, the individuals still make a big difference. The managers, yes, you know, they're both quality managers, but, the, you know, if De Bruyne doesn't start, then what a huge loss that is. That's 40% of their team, literally, especially going forward even more so. But the team and the, the, probably the manager that would have been celebrating the most when Liverpool lost was Man City and Pep Guardiola because it still opens it up for them to have an a indifferent start. I think against Leeds, they were good for long periods, but uh, still showed vulnerability at the back and in midfield. But um, this game here, I think that they, they could be too strong if they have their strongest 11 out on the pitch. All right, caveat. We're tipping with caveats. I'll give it to you this time because it's a fair play. A player worth 40% of one team on his own. I'll give that to you. Um, What a a weekend we have coming up, as I said. The Sunday night, Sheffield United against Fulham goes into Crystal Palace against Brighton. Tottenham against West Ham. That's a really super interesting game. Leicester City against Aston Villa rounds out that uh, particular night's action. And then it goes all the way to Tuesday. So given we have Champions League this week, you have your alarm set every single morning. Uh, Tuesday, it's West Brom against Burnley. 
Okay, maybe you won't set your alarm for that one. But Leeds versus Wolves, <laughs> definitely set your alarm for that one. Uh, so you say, I shouldn't have said that. I mean, every game is a great game in the Premier League. Sam Leeds against Wolves, that is a tasty game and a, and a terrific game. West Brom against so Burnley is a tasty game because not one of the sides have won yet. So, you know, it's a relegation, about a six-pointer already. Can you have negative goals? Can they? I don't know if that can happen in this game. I don't, I don't know. But that, yeah, there we go. So huge, huge week there. Now, as I hinted at, um, we've got some Champions League groups to run through and, and set the scene for you for. Because after Tuesday, we head into the Champions League knockout group stages. I'm now I've lost my uh, group group here, so I'm going to bring it up now slowly for you. Give me one second. I- yeah, I can tell you, Dave, the first group, especially Group A, is interesting already because Bayern Munich, Atletico Madrid, Salzburg and Lokomotiv Moscow, you expect Bayern Munich to come out top in this group and Atletico Madrid have started the season quite well in Spain. So they're the two that you think will go through, but there's some tasty games, you know, not only in that group, but in the, the, the other groups. And the, the one that stands out for me, Dave, and I'll let you go through the groups once you get them up. <laughs> but the one that stands out for me is Juve against Barca in Group G because it's Ronaldo against Messi. And we finally get to see them on the park again playing against each other. So there's some great games to watch. And, uh, and, but that's the one that really stands mm, out for me. Yeah, absolutely. And, and when we talk about, we started you know, at the start of the show talking about Ronaldo being out. I mean, there's just implications. I mean, whether he's back for this game, I'm sure he will be. It's a little bit down the track. But um, there's implications from, from Domino's from that news this morning. Every year. Look, let's start with that group because I'm, I'm most interested here. We start every season with Barcelona's quests, Juventus's quest for the Holy Grail. And here they are. Look, they've got Ferenc Vashos and Dinamo Kiev in this group. A lot of the groups should take care of themselves in terms of the top two. But you look at the form and the storylines and the pressure that they set with the way they perform in this group stage. And um, first, you know, let's zero in straight on Barca, John, because there's just such story, such attention and storylines around them. Where are they at as they begin this, this attempt under Ronald, Ronald Koeman to get you know, advance in the Champions League? I actually see them a little bit better than what they finished off last season. I think that, uh, I know that there's a lot of talk on, you know, of course, about Messi not wanting to be there. Now he's there. He, he will actually um, start to focus on his football. They have started the season quite well. They did draw against uh, Sevilla uh, recently, but Sevilla are a top side. Um, so that's not uh, any disgrace at all. And, but they just look more solid than what they looked under Kike Setien. Uh, and, and that's a big thing for Barca because they're always going to have good players going forward. I think that, um, you know, even Koeman sort of uh, ruffling a few feathers and getting rid of uh, uh, Suarez, I think that's a good thing. I think because he needs to show, he needs to do something. It, you can't just go in there and with the same group and then the, and the players have a lot of power. He's gone in there and one of the big players who's still a, a good top player He's, no, you, you might not start for me. So, you know, it's better you look somewhere else. I think that's actually shaken the group up. And uh, I think that you'll see a better Barcelona. Whether they're good enough to win the Champions League, I still have my doubts on that. What about Andrea Perlo? Is he good enough to have a fairy tale run in the Champions League? Go where Juve just haven't been able to go. You know, yeah, <laughs> you know, I think on, on a similar level to, uh, you know, to Barcelona, I think Juventus, you know, obviously, you know, we got Ronaldo, uh, you know, he, he still, he proves, uh, you know, like Messi year in and year out, how good he is, you know, but again, uh, will they be able to take that next step? Uh, you know, I'm a little bit, you know, to me, they're, they're sort of ranking alongside Barcelona. They're, they're sort of behind the top two or three teams. So they have a shot. But I don't see them as favourites. Uh, uh, you know, again, you know, Bayern, even uh, you know, Man City, uh, you know, PSG. You know, there's there's teams in front of them at the moment uh, for me. Yeah, Liverpool. Um, so uh, they they have to prove to me. And and again, Pirlo is is uh, you know he, he's got his his work cut out to 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 take that next step, and and that'll be interesting. You mentioned Luis Suarez. You mentioned Bayern. Let's go to Group A and run through. And we'll, we'll just pick out what the what the what the storyline to watch in each of these groups is: uh, Atletico, Bayern, Lokomotiv Moscow, Salzburg. Salzburg will be the joke among the pack, uh, like they were last year as, as well. Um, are Bayern better, John, than last year? What a crazy question! But are they? 
Well, at the moment, no, because they ended up losing the other week for 4-1, I think it was. Um, so, look, are they better? They they definitely could be better because, uh, you know, they've got some good... Well, they, they signed Sane uh, from Manchester City. And I think he's a great addition to the squad. And uh, it's just whether they can keep up that uh, form for the whole season again. Because they did it last year. Once they got uh, rid of Kovacs and, and they ended up having uh, the new coach come in and, and all of a sudden turn things around. And then they went on an amazing run. That, uh, But they're going to be there or thereabouts because they've got the quality still. They haven't lost too many players. Only Thiago on the midfield, but I think they've got enough to, to fill his spot as well. Group B, Thomas Mundrin-Gladbach from Germany, a fresh face in the competition, into Milan under Antonio Conte, Real Madrid, uh, looking to bounce back much like Barca, because right? they were disappointed with their performance last season. And Shakhtar Donetsk, what's the storyline to watch in this group? No, but obviously yeah, you would expect Real Madrid and, and Inter to, to go through. Um, I think mentioned Black Blackbuck can 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 spring a surprise in, in in a game here and there. You know, Shakhtar. You know, they, they'd be difficult to 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 go there. You know, it'd be cold and and miserable and uh, and, and again a lot of travel. Um, so they they'll always pose a, a threat when when you play over there. But uh, you know, I, I think Inter and and, and Madrid uh, should comfortably go go through in, in this one. And uh, I think Gladbach will probably take the third spot. Manchester City in Group C, John, with Olympiacos, Marseille and Porto. It's an open group. Very open. Very even. Olympiacos are always a tough team, especially over in Greece. Um, and we saw them last year in the Europa League. They did uh, pretty well and uh, you know, caused an upset against Arsenal. Um, Porto are strong, always will be strong, uh, and Marseille under Villas Boas is, uh, you know, he's got them playing uh, well and, and getting good results. So, you know, it, it's a tough group. Man City will finish top of this group. It, pretty open who finishes second. It, it's, a, it's a difficult one to say. I, I'm going to stay with Marseille. Mm-hmm. I think they'll have enough, but. Uh, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if either the other two get the second position as well. I'll tell you what, they want to make easier life for themselves than last year in the groups where they, they also had a pretty easy group, but still uh, had a few hiccups there, did City. Group D, entertaining everywhere. Ajax, Atalanta, Liverpool and Michelin, which features our mobile as well. Thomas. <laughs> yeah. yeah, just great to see a Danish side in, in yeah. the Champions League. Uh, yeah. That's exciting. And, and uh, again, and, and Aussie. Uh, doing well in in Denmark, which is uh, a, did another I pronounce great that sport. right? Michelin. Michelin, yeah. So uh, you 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 know pronunciation top draw. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well done, <Dave. laughs> Because I, I, mean, you know, I know you've rehearsed all morning, uh, but uh, <laughs> we'll leave it. Uh, no, again, uh, you know Liverpool, Atalanta. You know Atalanta was the, the great story last year. You know the, the way they play football. Uh, you know, it was so entertaining. The amount of goals they score, and and they'll pose a, a threat to Liverpool if they're not on their game. I think Ajax have taken a step back. They've lost too many players. Uh, so this, this is where I see, you know, from a Danish perspective, obviously, that Midtjylland, I think, potentially could sneak in and, and take that third spot in, in this group because Ajax uh, is not what they were two, two years ago with the, with the talent that they've lost. So, so that, that, that's the interesting sub story to me. But, but again, Liverpool, Atalanta, definitely through. I can't wait to watch that group. Can't wait at all. Group E... Um, interesting for Chelsea because they play Sevilla. That's going to be a really good test. But the other two teams, Krasnodar and Wren, can either of them uh, set the cat amongst the pigeons a bit, John? Well, yeah, of course they can. Uh, I think Wren have uh, shown in the past that they're, they're a tough team to play against, especially over in France. But uh, you, you have to say the favourites have to be Sevilla and Chelsea. I think Sevilla are better this season. What I've seen of them so far, and I've seen a couple of their games against Barcelona, against Bayern Munich, which they took them all the way uh, in that game. Um, I think they will go through with Chelsea. Chelsea will be too strong. Um, So you don't think there'll be too many upsets in this group. But, um, you know, I think Chelsea and Sevilla uh, will go through. Good to see Lazio back in the Champions League. They're in Group F alongside Borussia Dortmund. Club Bruges and Zenit St. Zenit St. Petersburg, uh, Thomas. Zenit are the top seed in this group too. So that, that kind of, with them being the weakest top seed, opens up uh, a fairly decent opportunity for Dortmund and Lazio to, to go all at it to get those top two spots. 
I think of all the groups, this is probably the, the most open where you haven't got a, a clear cut favor. I, I think obviously Dortmund, uh, you know, have, have got Haaland and, you know, they're, they're playing well. Royce is, is, is back after his injury. So you would expect them to be in the top two, but, you know, you know, even Club Bruges have got some great young talent and, and exciting, uh, you know, players. So uh, th- this could go either way. I think Dortmund will qualify, but then between the, the, the three others, uh, potentially Tip Lazio, um, I think they're, they're on an upward uh, trajectory. So, so um, yeah, probably Dortmund Lazio, Senate as a, as, a, as a third place, but it's very open. We've talked, spoken about Group G's. We'll jump to Group H because this is what everyone's declaring the, the group of death. Uh, RB Leipzig, Paris Saint-Germain, Manchester United and Istanbul Basak Sehir, which is no easy place to go to either. So that could almost be like uh, how you go there might be where the points sort of gets, the fine margins get split in those positions, John. That's the group of death. Yeah, it is the group of death. You think PSG will finish top. Um, but uh, how open is the, the rest of the group? You know, Man United haven't shown any good signs yet so far this season. They actually um, are looking very poor, especially defensively. And then, you know, RB Leipzig showed what they can do in the Champions League. They're going to be tough. And Istanbul, you, you, you know, we, we all know what it's like to go over there. All right, there's no crowd yet. But uh, hopefully that might open up because if it is, it will play a major factor. So, I think that uh, it, it is pretty open in that group. Oh. Um, you still think Man United will improve by the time the Champions League gets to the you know the end of that 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 group stage, and and you want to think and hope they could get through that group with PSG, but oh, question mark still. Massive. Can't believe this time next week we'll be doing a podcast off the back of the first Champions League broadcast where it all begins with a half an hour pregame before Paris Saint-Germain and Manchester United at 6am Australian Eastern Daylight Time. Chelsea-Sevilla, the alternative game to watch amongst all the others. Lazio-Dortmund, what a way to kick it off. And then Thursday, the main game is Ajax against Liverpool, the other Premier League team, Manchester City against Porto. And, well, if you've got all day to watch Champions League, Michelin against Atalanta. Uh, goals everywhere you'd think there. So we are in for a treat, particularly over the next few weeks where the games are going to be flying thick and fast. And we'll talk about all of them on the upcoming Gagan pods as well. We are running out of time. We've run out of time. We've talked internationals. We've talked Premier League. We've talked a bit off the field. And we've raced through the Champions League group. But we will be talking about that in depth over the coming weeks. Gents, thanks so much for your time. John, Thomas, great to see you both and great chatting as ever. Thank you. Yeah, Always thank you for being chat. on. Absolute pleasure. Great stuff. Great stuff to everyone out there. This means probably as much as it ever does because there is so much on. Until the next Gagan Pod, enjoy your football.